Hello and welcome to the show Woke Up, where we amplify the voices of those who were seduced by today's ideology of critical social justice and wokeism. And uh, I am so thankful that I have a, a new guest on the show. And I'm really glad that this man is a homosexual because my wife loves him. I find her, she loves his material. He's He cuts to the chase. He's hysterical. I'll walk through the house and I find my wife just laughing audibly saying, this guy is hysterical, uh, but he's strong. He's clear minded. He sees things the way they are and he calls them out. And uh, uh, our, our new friend here is Josh Slocum. He's the, the producer, the director of the podcast and YouTube channel uh, Disaffected. Uh, he's also studied profoundly uh, psychiatry and psychology. I don't think he's a necessarily certified, but he does give counseling and, and he really helps people to see things clearly and really help people. And, uh, I love his show and Josh, I'm so thankful you're on the show. So welcome to woke up. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and you've confirmed for me that the, um, say hi to your wife, uh, middle-aged women love the gays <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we aim to deliver. Yeah. <laughs> um, one, one quick clarification. Uh, I am not either. I'm not a licensed mental health professional. I have not been to school uh, to get a degree in counseling or psychiatry. I am a layman with a uh, uh, pretty far above average understanding of abusive psychology dynamics, both from my personal experience and from uh, the reading and study that I've done on my own. But I am not a mental health professional and I do offer coaching to people. Um, but it's not licensed mental health therapy in the traditional sense. Okay, but, but you're still extremely clear, and I just love the way you think and the way you process information and the way you, you deliver. And so, uh, Josh, I'm just going to turn this over to you. Like, Tell us about yourself, w what your life was like when you were uh, uh, really on the left and you hated life and hated people. Like, wh What drew you, drew you into that, and wh where are you coming from, man? What, 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 tell us more about who you are. Probably the the best way to do that is to talk about the show disaffected that I do and, and where that came from. Uh, our show, and, and by us, I mean me and my business partner and friend, Kevin Hurley, who is the producer and responsible for how professional the show looks and sounds. Uh, we decided to do this show a couple of years ago when we, it was, it was Kevin's idea, actually. We met each other. I live um, in Burlington, Vermont, and we met each other when he was a local and some controversies were brewing among the so-called LGBTQ plus community, um, wokeness, wokeness controversies. There was a bar in my town that was being dragged through the mud in the media because it chose to use a very traditional gay joke as a name for the bar. The name for the bar was Mr. Sister, right? We can all, right? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, exactly. You know, oh, no, oh, no. The trans went nuts absolutely insane the my city i say i live in burlington i live in the little teeny tiny city that is that directly abuts burlington called winooski by the way winooski vermont is a working class town that started out as a french canadian mill worker town today they brag that they are the first or second city council in the entire united states that is entirely l g b t q plus Figure that out for me. So that's the character of the place that I live in. My city actually had an emergency public meeting about the name that this man wanted to put on his bar and the harm it was doing to the trans and queer community. That's how Kevin and I met each other because we're both gay men. We're both in our 40s. Um, we've been on, on their side of the political aisle, but we are fully awake and done with this crap. Um, and since that time, it has only gotten worse here. Um, we decided to start speaking out and didn't know. There's a thesis to this show. The show has a working premise that we want to communicate to people. That working premise is, as in the home, so in society. Specifically, what I mean is I come from a family that is riddled with what are called cluster B personality disorders. For the audience, yes, I will explain that. I come from an abusive family, psychological, physical, sexual abuse throughout the family. Um, when I figured out six years ago that my mother had both borderline and narcissistic personality disorders, 
and that that psychological syndrome for the first time in my life explained to me my mother's lifelong derangement and abuse. It didn't take me very long to see that the very same abusive tactics that were common in my household as a child are now common on the left. And when I started the show, I said the woke left. I do not say that anymore. There is no distinction any longer between the woke left and the mainstream left. I am talking about the nice Democrats that your audience members hope I'm not talking about. Yes, I'm saying they are in a cult fully. So the thesis of the show is narcissistic emotional abuse, gaslighting, reversing the truth, you know, hurting somebody and then claiming to be the victim, dragging people's reputations through the mud with false allegations or salting in little bits of truth into your accusations against somebody in order that other people will swallow a bigger lie. These were all dynamics that occurred in my house growing up, and they are all dynamics that are happening now. So, you know, the sort of tagline for this is domestic abuse has gone public and fair. Interesting. And so uh, you just see this being manifested. And, and that's why people that grew up a certain way with a certain worldview, they now look at society and every day or every week, there's, oh, this is crazy. This is insane. Uh, there's like a, a mental health aspect uh, that you're saying uh, and something that you're keenly intimate with and you recognize being played out in society. And uh, so why don't we, why don't you take us back to like your education and your worldview and the home you grew up in and uh, what, you know, what drew you to the left and what was your worldview at that time? Sure. Uh, what, let me preface that by saying a couple of things that uh, I would like the audience and the listeners to keep in mind. I am going to make generalizations. I'm not going to caveat and qualify everything I say. I don't do that. So I always ask people, supply your own, not alls, okay? <laughs> I'm going to generalize. I'm going to extrapolate from my personal experience. Yes, I do believe my personal experience is in many ways generalizable. I do think it describes what many other people have gone through. I don't think it describes what everybody has gone through. And I know that you will have some listeners who say that wasn't my experience. I get that and I acknowledge it. But this is the end of the caveats and disclaimers. And I do this because uh, we are all every day taxed by other people who say, not all, not all, not all, not me. Where's the study? Where's the citation? How can you know that you're generalizing? I don't play that game. So that's the end of that. I come from, I come from a, for, for most of growing up, a single mother household um, started this. Let me give the general statement, then I'll give the detail. I believe that my lifelong membership in the progressive democratic left, which lasted until I was 41, so that was uh, six or seven years ago, I believe that I was drawn to that because of the kind of family that I grew up in, not simply because my mother's politics were democratic. They were, that was an influence, yes, but not only because of that specific partisan members. I believe many people who are severely abused as children grow up with a very distorted view of the world and they are very emotionally vulnerable to the promises that the left makes to people, the promises to care for them, to protect them from all bullies, to to get get the bad guys there's always a big bad guy at the top he's either in a corporation he's always a white man uh, he's always a heterosexual um this may have been different in different eras but we're not in a different era we're in our era and throughout my lifetime the left in america that i used to be a part of saw and sees the world as a zero-sum power game that all human relationships are power over. And the only question is who is to be master and who is to be slave. Um, that black and white worldview was one that I adopted. And in addition to the emotional and physical violence in my home, when I was a, my mother got pregnant with me when she was 18 years old. She had just graduated from high school. I have never met my father. He refused to, he wanted my mother to, uh, to abort. My mother wanted to get married. He didn't want to. He left. My mother then married another man when I was three or four years old, and she had my brother and sister with that. He was a violent wife beater, child beater, and pedophile. He tried to murder my mother in front of us children as we watched. When he was placed out of the house, 
um, when my mother finally kicked him out, my mother was also abusive, um, not as dangerous physically as a stronger man was, uh, but extraordinarily toxic and dangerous emotionally. But as a child trapped in that situation, I could only see my mother as a savior. My mommy was going to protect me. I did, I did not have a room in my head. My emotions could not handle the knowledge that both of my parents were that wicked. That was too much for me. It was all that bad stepfather. And he was a very bad man. Absolutely. But he was not the only bad person <laughs> there. Um, I am not justifying domestic violence, but this was a two-person dance that my mother and my stepfather were in. And for most of the physical violence he dished out, I am sorry to say, but it is true, that my mother frequently, deliberately provoked that violence. And that is a feature of um, many people who have, and I believe that my mother has borderline and narcissistic personality disorders. So I identified heavily with my mother. Um, and I say that, you know, I thought my mother was my protector. But in looking back on this, it really wasn't true. There were years years that that man beat me preferentially because I was a step kid. This is very common. If there's going to be violence, it's often a step parent uh, and did nothing about it. Um, so, you know, I had constructed a fantasy in my head. And in fact, my mother looked to me to protect her. And the term that is used when talking about toxic family systems, the term for that is called parentification. It means to treat the child as if the child were even a surrogate spouse. So abusive parents who are too emotionally enmeshed in toxic ways with their children, as is common for uh, people with borderline and narcissistic personality disorder, they tend to parentify the children. My mother not only placed a lot of household responsibilities on me, things like cooking and cleaning and taking care of the younger children uh, at an age that was inappropriate. It was not just that. It was also treating me, and this is very common between mo mothers and sons um, with, with this toxic dynamic. Um, uh, she treated me as if I were an adult confidant and shared secrets with me at an inappropriately young age about how men treated her or about her sexual encounters with men. So that's the kind of household that I grew up in. And then you uh, left the home and you went to the university and uh, what began to happen in terms of uh, maturing your worldview right. and... Well, I didn't just leave the home. I was taken out of my home and placed into a glorified orphanage when I was 13 years old. I was placed in a mm. care home for so-called incorrigible boys, because that is what we do to abuse children in this country. We do not punish the abuser. We punish the abused. Um, that ended up being, it probably saved my life because it was two suicide attempts at age 13 that provoked my mother enough to actually pay attention to what was wrong with me. Um, and although... The care system is very fraught. Um, the place that I was put into was not appropriate for my situation, and it was very frightening. It was better than living at home because I think there's a distinct possibility that either my mother or I would have seriously hurt the other one. So best of two bad options. I dropped out of high school when I was 16. Um, I was very troubled, very emotionally unstable, uh, had already begun problem drinking and um, jumped right into the stereotypical promiscuous gay male lifestyle. It's not a stereotype. It's true. It's not just a few. It's most. Um, and was aimless for a few years. And then I met some adults. I met some older people in their 20s who um, uh, took an interest, a couple of women who took an interest in me. Um, uh, they had seen me on a local talk show talking about um, homophobia in schools and things like that and helped coach me uh, to get into college and, and gave me a place to live when I didn't have a place to live, did a lot of really good things for me. I ended up going to Sarah Lawrence College when I was 21. So I was four years older than most kids when they, when they start college. And Sarah Lawrence is one of the liberalist of the liberal arts colleges. Um, if you haven't heard of it, um, compare it to colleges like Vassar or Bryn Mawr or Smith things like that. Um, and pe when people talk about wokeness, Michael, you know, they talk about how everything went crazy um, in the, in the 2010s. This, that, no, 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 no. Things didn't go crazy in the 2010s. This was already in the academy. My undergraduate experience 
with the, and it was a wonderful four years. I wouldn't go back and change it. But my education was in fact Marxist, leftist indoctrination, postmodernism. Um, these are the foundations on which wokeness is built. That is what I was trained in. I believed it. I subscribed to it. But my education was mostly brainwashing and indoctrination, and I reject it now. Which has become ubiquitous within the entire university system, private schools and uh, state schools alike, nationwide. It seems like people are more focused on radicalizing and developing a worldview, as you uh, say, the oppressor oppressed or the power dynamic versus uh, actually educating people. Yeah, um, I think the the entire higher education system in the United States is irretrievably compromised. I don't want to see someone rescue it. I want to see it burned down. No, I don't mean that physically for any CIA who are setting out there. <laughs> metaphor, metaphor. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's salvageable. I think its core values are fundamentally corrupt to the point of evil at this point evil. Yeah. And so you maintain this uh, ideology, uh, the effect of brainwashing in the university, and uh, you stumbled across, uh, uh, and the, what really intrigues me about you, Josh, is you really clearly spell out this uh, concept of cluster B personality disorders. And, you know, I, I, you articulated, I didn't know there was a science behind it, but I have personally experienced people that have as Paolo Ferreri says, conscientization or arrived at critical consciousness where they recognize uh, uh, the oppressions in the world. And it's like they have this religious experience and it deeply and profoundly impacts their personality. I've seen people's personality, this person who was kind and loving and thoughtful, uh, empathetic, become intolerable and angry. And it just totally affected who they are. And I've seen this time and time yeah. again. And so you articulate it so well, and you, you put a, a, a psychological diagnosis on it. And uh, I just want to put up uh, cluster B personality disorders. Yeah, and, uh, I think, it, yeah, this, this might be a really good time to acquaint your audience with what they actually are. Yeah, so if you could put that on the screen. And so there's four of them listed. So Josh, why don't you just take it from here? Sure. Um, first thing, I want to tell people how to, <laughs> listen to me, I want to tell people how to think. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I am kind of bossy. I have to watch that. Um, I want to explain to people what personality disorders are and how they are distinct from what we think of when we hear the phrase mental illness. Okay. It is a kind of mental illness, but it is not the kind of mental illness that your audience is thinking of. When I said that word, when I said mental illness, emotional associations pop up in everyone's mind. This is just normal. This is how communication works. The mental association that popped up for most people when I said that word was, oh, people who are disabled, people who are suffering from a condition that is holding them back and making them not responsible for how they behave in the world, right? So mental illness today in the West tends to evoke sympathetic emotions. Do you, do you follow me? Do you yes. understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Okay. This is different. Personality disorders are different. And again, this is a generalization. There are nuances. I don't have time for all of them, but there are. Personality disorders are not mere mental illness. When we think of mental illness, we think of things like schizophrenia, uh, where people are actually delusional and or hearing voices. We think of things like manic depression, which is now today called bipolar, but it's just plain old manic depression with a new euphemism. We think of um, uh, major depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, and people with personality disorders can and often do also experience these mental illnesses. So it's not an either or, but when, when thinking about categories so that we understand how to think about things, there's a separation here. What are called personality disorders used to be called character disorders. That matters. I like calling them character disorders too, because in my view, these are not simply mental illnesses that compromise a person. These are descriptions of bad moral character. Bad moral character. Yes, I am saying be morally judgmental. I'm going against the, um, I'm not the only one doing this, but I want to make it very specific and explicit. I am asking people to make moral judgments. Get rid of that programming in your mind that says, don't judge. Don't be so judgmental. You know, don't feel sorry. Don't judge. Don't judge. No, don't judge 
is what abusers want you to think. Who who benefits from who benefits from us suspending our moral judgment? People who yeah. are getting away with bad things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So think about that the next time. Uh, and many people listening right now uh, will recognize this. They will feel an emotion. They'll see somebody, they'll feel an emotion, and, and it'll be a judgmental emotion. And this is particularly true for women. Um, not exclusively, but particularly true for women. Then they will immediately morally chide themselves inside saying, don't be judgmental. Don't do that, right? Yeah, I'm saying do that. Trust your senses. Personality disorders are, in fact, a, um, a description of, of moral character as well. I focus on cluster B personality disorders. There are other clusters, cluster A and C. I focus on cluster B. People, Most people have not heard of these, but audience and listeners, you all know people with cluster B personality disorders, and you actually do know what I'm talking about. You don't think you do because you haven't heard the term before, but I'm going to give you other terms and you'll see that you already know who these people are. Cluster B are called the erratic and dramatic personality disorders. Ostensibly, there are four allegedly separate personality disorders that come under the cluster of B. They are um, borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and antisocial personality disorder. Antisocial personality disorder is what you know colloquially as psychopathy, a psychopath or a sociopath. You've all met narcissistic people, and narcissism is what binds these four allegedly discrete disorders together. And I'm saying allegedly discrete because I no longer believe that they are categorically different and separate. Most of the people that I observe who I believe have a cluster B personality disorder have a helping of traits and symptoms from more than one of those four categories. I think it is probably more accurate to think of a personality type that we call cluster B. But um, like, so for, so for example, well, let's take my mother as an example. Um, this, this will work. This image I'm going to use will work for people who are closer to my age, but those of you who are younger listening to this may have to look it up. I'm getting to the age where my references are dated. If you want to know the kind of person my mother was, what kind of mom did I experience growing up? I say this, and it is a little bit funny, but I do mean it. I'm not just making a joke. I mean this very literally. My mother was a cross between a poor and down and out version of Joan Crawford and Mommy Dearest and the religious fanatic mother in the horror movie Carrie from 1976. Ouch. <laughs> okay. You got what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Um, <clears throat> that's the kind of woman my mother was. Um, still is. We don't speak to each other, but she's still the same wicked person she's ever been. Much worse, in fact. Um, people, everybody, everybody on earth has dealt with a cluster B, a, a primary narcissist, um, Let's let's I'll give you the flavor of, of what these disorders are. There are differences and people have different mixes of traits. Um, but again, to think in terms of categories so that we understand what we're thinking about. Borderline personality disorder is characterized by extreme emotional instability. Um, huge vacillations in mood. And I, and it is not the most common misdiagnosis is people, people will see something that's actually borderline personality disorder. And they'll say she's bipolar. Doctors do it all the time. It's so bad that I no longer believe anyone's diagnosis of bipolar until that person proves that it's not actually borderline personality disorder. And the literature reflects this. It is the most common mistaken mental health diagnosis. There are far fewer bipolar people out there than there are borderlines in actual fact. Extreme emotional instability, mood swings from elation to suicidal despair, often within one day or within minutes or hours. That's the quickest way you can distinguish borderline from manic depression slash bipolar. The manic depressive goes through extraordinary mood swings, but he does so over periods of weeks. What, about rapid, what about rapid cycle? What about rapid cycle bipolar, which they would categorize? You know, I don't you know. believe rapid cycle bipolar is real. I believe that okay. that is a way to avoid saying borderline personality. Got it. 
Got it. Thank you. Okay. I may be wrong. And, mm -hmm. and for any clinicians who are out there who think I'm wrong about that, I'm acknowledging right now, I can be talked into a different point of view, but right now, no, I don't believe it's real. Okay. Okay. Um, narcissism is obvious and self-explanatory, but there are many ways to be a clinical, when I mean clinical or pathological, I'm talking about, we all, all of us, all of the traits that are almost all of the traits that are associated with cluster B personality disorders, emotional instability, um, projection, paranoid fantasizing, almost all of these things are emotions that normal range, I mean, people without personality disorder, normal range people will experience some of these emotions or engage in some of these behaviors at some point in our lives, because these traits are actually human traits. They're not personality disorder traits. What makes it a disorder is the severity, the number of them, and the consistent use and application of them. So that's the line. And it's a blurry line. And people will disagree on certain individuals. Does he cross the line into a, a diagnosable disorder or not? It's not always easy to say. Um, but these people are all characterized by having profound difficulties with empathy, theory of mind, the idea that you recognize that the people around you that you love and that you're talking to are also just like you are, full whole humans with their own hopes and desires and subjective experiences. People with cluster B disorders have either compromised or absent theory of mind and empathy, particularly the more malignant narcissists and the psychopaths, but even the borderlines and histrionics have difficulty with this. So they end up treating people in an exploitative fashion rather than a loving fashion. And most people, not all, but most people who we could describe as having a full diagnosable personality disorder got that way because they too were abused as children. My mother went through neglect, poverty, and an alcoholic upbringing. She came by her crazy the honest way. And you will find that in most people who have these personality disorders. Um, however, um, and, the, you know, and, and we could get off into, into the weeds about this too. The reason I go to pains to point out the difference between personality disorders and what we think of as mental illness is um, I believe that we as a society in the West right now, I believe that cluster B traits are socially rewarded and valorized. I think that people who display psychopathic disregard for others, borderline style um, emotional incontinence that ends up um, aiming its gun at innocent people. These are now socially and economically valued and validated ways of being in the world. We make heroes out of abusive narcissists. We do it in the media with actors and actresses. The news does it constantly. Look at what happened this week. 28-year-old woman who calls herself a man, calls herself transgender, goes and shoots and kicks, kills six people at the school she went to. What do you see on NBC? Trans community in fear for their lives after transphobia happens over a shooter. We can't even let the victims be the victims. It's the bloody killer who gets the sympathy or the killer's identity group. Did you notice that? Sick, sick. It is sick. It's sick. It's morally depraved. That's cluster B. I'm not saying that all of the people, this is important. I am not saying everyone who votes left and everyone who is a Democrat and everyone who is a progressive has a personality disorder. Negative. You, uh, I, I go to great pains to point that out because even when I say it that explicitly, there's usually at least one or two comments on, on YouTube or wherever that says, you're saying everybody left has a personality disorder. No, I'm not. I am saying, however, that... The, to be in the left today, you have to work within personality disorder dynamics. So, you, you know, I read a few, a few research uh, a study a couple of years ago where they, it was a simple study and it was basically self-identifying and asked people basically if they're on the left or the right and if they've ever been treated for or they had uh, uh, self-identified that they were ever had mental health care or diagnosed with a mental yes. illness it was overwhelmingly like, I don't remember the numbers, but at least two to one where those that self-identifies on the left have also come forth as saying that they've been diagnosed or treated for mental illness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you, are you familiar with that? Yes, sir. Um, uh, a couple of things about that. One, it was not, a, it's, um, 
It's important to remember that that was a survey of self-reported data. It was not a study. I've, I've heard a lot of people say it was a study. It wasn't. I know you didn't say it, Michael, uh, but I'm just making, I'm making that clarification. Uh, so we don't know exactly what's being measured, and we have to trust that people are being truthful. And we also don't know exactly what each survey respondent meant when she or he said, yes, I've been diagnosed for a mental illness. We, we don't know exactly. Was it depression that lasted for a month? Was it borderline personality disorder? Was it schizoaffective disorder? We don't know. Gotcha. But I do think it's an indicator. Yes. And of course, this jumped out at everybody. And we don't like to talk about this. But who had the most mental health problems? Very liberal women. Women. And this is another thing that gets me in trouble these days. Um, because I think a lot of our problems... A lot of problems that come from woke are a sex-specific problem. Um, narcissistic women and narcissistic members of any currently valorized minority class, trans, black, uh, female, are able socially and politically now to get away with the most abusive and disgusting narcissistic behavior and still be considered downtrodden victims who need special... You know what? What what do you think it is? Because I just anecdotally, just my own observations, it does seem like, uh, and and I want to be careful too, not to overly categorize, but a, but a tendency for good white middle class, upper class, urban center white women, uh, mm -hmm. younger younger to middle age, there's this anger, and it seems like uh, not so much Hispanics, and not necessarily so much in the African American community, but white liberal women are driving so much of this and yes, they are and, and allyship and, and this identity and allyship and, and aggressiveness and celebrating uh, their trans child or just, just weird things that I never thought would be part of our society. Mm -hmm. it, it, you said, yeah, yeah, yes, they are. I mean, this is kind of anecdotally, but it just seems like there's a, a spillover. There's something going on in, in that, demographic. I don't know if you had any insights about all that or any thoughts about that. I have some thoughts about it. Um, uh, first thing I'll say is there is no such thing as a transgender child. There's no such thing as a child who was born in the wrong body. That's not real. Let me take it up another level. You know why there's no such thing as a transgender child? Because, because God there's doesn't no make such thing as a transgender person. That's wow. not real. It's never been real. It's not real today and it won't be real tomorrow. No one is born in the wrong body. What about gender dysphoria then? What would you, how do you deal with that medical diagnosis? Uh, uh, what, uh, well, I'm going to take it back a, a step. Why in the world would we deal with that medically? Yeah, exactly. It's a mental uh, condition, right? I mean, Correct. it's not. And what's called gender dysphoria today, people are acting like a new kind of suffering has been discovered and that these children are suffering in a way that no one ever suffered before. It isn't true. It isn't true. I had, back in the late 70s and early 80s, I, along with, I would venture the majority of gay men, I had what is today called gender dysphoria. Very common experience of effeminate boys and masculine girls who don't fit into society. As a child of seven, eight, and nine years old, I truly believed I had been born in the wrong body, that I was supposed to be born with a vagina, that I had either made a mistake and sinned so badly that God was punishing me this way, or, I mean, I used to go to bed at night and pray that I would either wake up with a girl's body or that I would wake up as a good and decent boy who didn't have the naughty thoughts that I had. That is gender dysphoria. I dressed up in girls' clothes. I envisioned my what would my body look like if I had a vulva instead of a penis? Does this sound familiar to anybody? It should sound familiar yeah. because this is what we're hearing that these supposedly um, um, children who are suffering in a new and, 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 and deeper way than anyone has ever suffered before. This is not new or real. You know what? This is called being a, this is called being a sissy boy or a butch girl, most of whom grow up to be gay. Transing children not exclusively, but 75 to 80% of it is literally doing mutilating surgery to make them not gay. That's what it is. Fascinating. I am not different from these children today. They are not different from the kind of kid I was or the kind of kid that so many boys and girls like me were. Um, but thank goodness in those days, nobody thought, oh, I'd better block his puberty 
I better get him prepared to have his testicles removed. This is the society we're living in. And you talked to, you said a minute ago, Michael, you know, the, these, these women celebrating their trans kids They're Oh, 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 it's much worse than that. Do you know what transing your kid is? What these moms are doing? And it is 90 to 99% of them. It's mothers. This is something we already know. I'm going to wait for two seconds and see if it occurs to anybody. It's called Munchausen syndrome by proxy. It's that thing you already know because you remember seeing it in movies like The Sixth Sense, where there's that scene where the ghost girl tapes her mother, killing her by spiking her soup with Drano. We've seen the movie of the week about this. We all knew what this was in the 90s when mothers would poison their children or fake cancer in their children to get yes, yes. attention. That is what so-called trans moms are. They are personality disordered, abusive harpies. They are literally poisoning their children mentally and physically. And yet nobody is saying, holy shit, this is Munchausen's by proxy. Instead, we're going She's the most loving mother in the entire world. Look how far she'll go for her trans daughter. It is sick. It is like looking at the devil and saying, that, you know, it's the archangel Gabriel. I mean, it just blows my mind. It, it's, it's, it is unbelievable. But, you know, uh, every it's, it's from the data that I understand that uh, 90% of the people that uh, are young people, they have some sort of gender dysphoria. They grow out of it if they just allow it to develop and, Yep, and, and and so to take such invasive approaches is, and then the mother to get their identity or even the father, but it's, it seems it's like it's almost a always the mother. Sometimes the father, but let's yeah, no, it's not an even split. It's like ninety five percent mothers. So the mother gets her affirmations by so, showing how progressive she is and how loving she is and accepting and and you know the the accolades by prancing their kid around yes. as that's sick. <laughs> yes, it is. But again, it's not, it, it's not true that we don't know what we're seeing. We yeah. do know what we're seeing. We just need to be given permission to notice things. So I I'm, that's what I'm trying to do on my show. And I'm trying to do when I talk to you here, we know who these mothers are. We knew who they were when we saw John Benet Ramsey's parents. Didn't we? Yes. Didn't we? Mm -hmm. Yep. Pageant mom, why is this okay now? How come John Benet Ramsey being tarted up like a six-year-old prostitute and danced on a stage for money and for her mother and father's adulation? Why were we horrified by that? But we cry tears of loving affirmation when we see these disgusting, um, self-absorbed, narcissistic women taking their boy children out to drag story hour or dressing their boy children up and having him dance on a damn stage for money these women are literally pimping their children and we clap for it Oops. i believe talking about munchausen's by proxy and transing your children i believe that munchausen syndrome by proxy is not a standalone condition or disease it is a symptomatic sub-expression of borderline or narcissistic personality disorder there's no such thing as a grown adult who is psychologically normal on every other axis, but just happens to have a condition where she needs to poison her children, but she's otherwise normal. Does that make any sense? It does. It's fascinating. And I mean, how do people self-identify? I mean, nobody's going to say, well, I'm a narcissist. I mean, they're not even aware of it. So, I mean, is there any hope for these people with these mental conditions? You think? Most of them know. Um, most of them know. Um, here's where I'll get a little bit, uh, I will add a little nuance. There does seem to be a difference in the treatment. Okay. So generally speaking, mm -hmm. cluster B personality disorders. Well, I'll say it the way a doctor would say it. They're treatment refractory or difficult to treat. This is usually a soft and gentle medical way of saying there's no hope because the reality is in the big majority of cases, people with full personality disorders are not going to change. It is not amenable to treatment the way um, anxiety, depression, and other things that are not associated with a personality disorder. It's not treatable that way. There's no medication for cluster B personality disorders. SSRIs don't work or no, sir. Or, okay. No, no. Because remember, these are, these are what, even though the current medical literature does not like to say this, they know it's true. 
we are talking about moral character. We're not talking about an organic brain disease for the most part. What, what, what pill changes your character? Yeah. Right. Um, the one exception to that seems to be some cases of borderline personality disorder. Um, those, those who have borderline personality disorder and who are on the lower end of comorbid narcissistic traits, they have a better chance of making a significant recovery and they have a better chance the earlier it is caught and the earlier treatment is offered to someone with BPD, the better their chances are. Um, personality disorders tend to become recognizable enough that they can be diagnosed by late adolescence and early adulthood. But that is also the time when, for example, somebody with, bo because borderline personality disorder in, you know, to a close approximation, it's a trauma disorder. It is usually an outcome of severe emotional and or sexual abuse in child. Um, so it's a trauma disorder. Um, the people who are experiencing it need intensive trauma treatment, psychotherapeutic treatment, not necessarily drug treatment. I mean, they, they may be given drugs for comorbid depression and, and symptoms like that. Um, but there's, you know, but they need trauma treatment. And other than borderline that is caught relatively early, in most cases, there isn't very much hope. So one of the things I do is, as you know, I have a, a consulting business. I offer hour-long sessions to people um, who are experiencing these abuse dynamics and want somebody with, with personal experience in them, but also well-read, who can talk about what are the potential outcomes if you choose to deal with the situation on path A, path B, path C, what's reasonable to expect? What are your actual goals? Where do you want to get to? And I don't, I, I am, when I'm talking one-on-one -on -one with people in a private consulting session, I'm less doctrinaire than people experience me when I'm being the host of my show. You know, as you know, I don't pull punches. Um, I, I'm very forthright. I have very strong opinions, but I also recognize um, for individual people that they have to come to realizations on their own and they have to make their own mistakes. And what I hope to do is not tell them what to do, but give them a realistic idea of what they can expect, both in terms of how their choice will affect them emotionally, how it might affect them financially and how it will affect their relationship. But unfortunately, I do have to be pretty candid with most people that I speak to, because most of them are coming to me to talk about a person who is middle-aged to elderly, a spouse, a parent, someone like that. A 55-year-old, 65-year-old father with narcissistic personality disorder, he's, he's, a he's never going to change. That's right. That makes sense. Never. I, I, I want to uh, talk a little bit about the process of, because I, I was talking about how I've observed people, their personalities completely change. Uh, people go kids go away to college and they come back. It's like, what happened to my child? Uh, and then you also say that there is a, 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 a connection in these cluster B personalities with the, those that have this, uh, have adopted this ideology. And, uh, and so my, my question is what happens? Do, do you have any insight uh, how this worldview seduces the mind mm -hmm. and begins to take over Mm -hmm. and leaving the person enslaved like uh, yes. for instance uh, a young person that's going away to university that's being intentionally brainwashed by, uh, by mm -hmm. the school what kind of tools can they be given uh, to avoid it or those that are early on in this uh, to to reject it or, or because it is a mind virus and it does take over everything you see the entire world through that and mm -hmm. and you see it played out with uh, the absolute transformation of the personality of somebody i want to i want to yeah. challenge you on that a little bit please do mm -hmm. okay um i want to push back and say i don't i think that the and what uh, michael what you're saying is very common it's what most people it's how most people analyze this so so you know what you're saying is the common sentiment i okay. think the, the common sentiment is more than half wrong. I don't believe these people were, quote, changed as much as you do. I don't believe this ideology changed her personality. I think that's backwards. I think the, the mental vulnerability that was already present in mm. that person is what attracted him or her to the ideology. Yes, the ideology does continue the brainwashing. Yes, it can make that person more and more 
entrenched in political cult thinking. Yes, it does have those negative effects. But no, I don't believe that a person from a normal, stable background, absent abuse and trauma is very vulnerable to this. I don't believe it. I think you are seeing a selection filter, right? You are seeing people who are preferentially attracted to ideologies because of their past experience. Now, there will be cases that people can bring up where it seems like a person totally changed their personality. And I have to leave room that that can happen to some people. I don't think it's what happens to most people. I'll use myself as an example. So so overall, here's what I think the overall answer is. Those people who are vulnerable to this wokeness and cult mentality are overwhelmingly people who came from abusive uh, or emotionally neglectful or inadequate parenting backgrounds. I see there is a huge undeniable connection between an uber woke liberal progressive attitude and coming from family dysfunction. That's what got me there. Not only was I raised by a deranged mother and for several years, a very violent stepfather, but my mother was a big feminist. My mother was anti-nuclear. My mother was, um, well, she says a feminist, but my mother actually hates men. She uses men, um, but hates them at the same time, uh, as, as most feminists do. Um, and I was a male feminist. I, I fell for all this stuff. Combine my experience of, because when I came out of my home, Michael, when I went into that institution, and then I think that between the ages of 17 years old and into my 20s, I probably qualified for a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder myself. And that's not uncommon. Um, there's great disagreement um, among clinicians and researchers, there's a construct called complicated post-traumatic stress disorder, CPTSD, which is different from the classic veteran sort of PTSD. Um, there's disagreement over whether CPTSD is actually borderline personality disorder, or if it's a less severe form, or whether they're entirely different things. My thought on this is that there is a relationship and a continuum there, but I don't have a certain answer. Um, but I was certainly, I was emotionally unstable, self-destructive. I became an alcoholic. I didn't put that down until six years ago. Um, when you come from neglect and abuse, and when you come from a family system where nobody, where the adults do not take responsibility for their own actions, but they blame either their children or the welfare system or their bastard landlord or the sexist professors at college or whoever the villain or boogeyman is, you grow up seeing yourself as a victim. Yes. And I saw myself for most of my life as a victim. And I made up a story in my head that I was primarily a victim because gay people were done so badly and yes, I did experience anti-gay bigotry. I was beat up in school. I did get fired from a job for being gay. I did experience actually unfair treatment. But that wasn't the source of most of my problems. The source of most of my problems was my warped upbringing. So I think that when you see this correlation between mental illness and liberal political beliefs, it's real. And I think that a lot of people end up falling for this because they come from a background where they are taught that they and or their parents are primarily victims and that the way to live a, ha a happy and fulfilled life is to spend your time as an activist demanding that other people give you their money, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if we look at our show, uh, we, we showcase and we interview people that were had the mindset, were brainwashed, led to a place they didn't want to be, but they, they were able to get delivered. And you talk about how difficult it is, especially when you're burnt in in these... Uh, cluster B uh, uh, personality disorders, but you yourself had had one that, that you uh, are saying that you-, you, you It was never formally diagnosed. I'm, I'm making my right. best guess based on my own self-assessment. Your self-diagnosis -diag that you could yeah. easily have been categorized as that. But yeah, you got and I still, I still have, I mean, you know, I don't go around claiming this as an identity because I'm so sick of people claiming their mental illness as an yes. identity, but I'm very damaged, um, you know, I'm very damaged. I still have complicated post-traumatic stress disorder. It's better than it used to be, mm -hmm. but I am not nearly as emotionally stable as a normal range person in that way. But you're not I going around. It. You're not going around hating people and cruel, and, and you're not. La no, I hope you're, not. You're, you're not lacking empathy. You know, I mean, you, you have uh, 
you know, you're not looking to des- destroy the man or you don't have. I was big- for a long time. Right. But so, so here's my point, Josh, you, you got set free. Other people on the show have gotten set free. You talk about the difficulties. And so I, I guess I want to maybe give some people practical thoughts, like how they can really get unstuck from this because there's no, no uh, cure with pills or necessarily right. talk therapy. It, it's something that comes within the person uh, yeah. to get unstuck. And so do, do you have any, uh, can you speak to that at all? I do. As an encouragement to those that might be listening that yeah. are, that are, are really shit. I'm really might be narcissistic in, you sure. know, that people aren't that self-aware, but maybe somebody is, or, you know, maybe give, give some hope or some steps or some thoughts, anything along those lines you might be able to share. Yeah, I, well, it, it's, it's, it's a less satisfying answer than I think people will want to hear. Mm-hmm. I believe to the extent that other people are like me, I think most people have to come face to face with their biggest terrors and fears before they break free. I don't believe no one is set free. It's not possible to set anyone else free. It is only possible to free yourself. Yes. 100% of the time, no exceptions. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? It wouldn't have happened for me unless I had to confront my worst fears and see my mother for who she really was for the first time in my life. That happened around between 2014 and 2016 when I made the very bad mistake of buying a second house so that my poor mother, who was constantly being evicted from apartments for non-payment of rent, would have a place that she could afford to live. That was one of the worst mistakes I've ever made. Within two years, my mother's derangement was already back in full force and I was on the edge of a nervous breakdown. I was failing at my job. I I had gone, crawled so far into a bottle that I sometimes didn't know what day it was. Um, I had a heart attack at 36 years old, right? That's that's wow. not that's not usual, right? Um, while, I, while it was the worst decision I made, I would not, if I had the chance, I would not go back in time and change anything because it was the most important freeing thing that ever happened to me. At 41 years old, my mother's rage and paranoia and her utter lack of of genuine caring for her children, for her husband, and for people who loved her and who had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to help her. When I saw that, and I did see it, she didn't care. She was willing to exploit me to the point that I was going to lose my job to get what she wanted. And something in me broke. Just, it broke me. I remember the moment when it happened. I was getting a cup of coffee. I was standing in the kitchen of a home that I owned, I bought this home to give my mother an apartment. I was visiting her there. I'm in the kitchen getting a cup of coffee. It was 8 p.m. on a Thursday. My mother is in the living room with her. uh, This is not the original husband from my childhood. This is a different man. Abusing her husband and screaming at the top of her lungs. You effing retard. Can't you do anything right? Jesus Christ, you're useless. Get the F out of my face. This is my mother every day. And I found myself taking the coffee spoon and setting it down very, very slowly so that it didn't make a clicking noise. Because if my mother heard me making a noise, she would start screaming at me. And all of a sudden, I I literally had a direct emotional flashback to being eight or nine years old, doing the same thing, trying to be really quiet and sneak away so that my mother wouldn't notice that I existed. And I said, oh my God, You are 41 years old. You are a white collar professional and you are now feeling eight years old and you are terrified of your mother. This ends now. That's what ended it. Everybody will have a different come to Jesus moment, but I do believe that in order to free yourself from this, you have to face the truth and the truth that I faced, it'll be different for other people, but many people will have a similar one. The truth that I faced was that my worst fear my entire life that I could not articulate to myself was actually true. My mother did not love me and she did enjoy hurting me consciously. That was my greatest fear. My greatest fear turned out to be true. It was horrible, but it was necessary and it freed me. And when my sister suggested that I read about cluster B personality disorders, all of a sudden that whole life of my crazy mother who can't be explained slotted itself into neat categories, chunk, 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 like a sorting machine. Mm. It was like, oh, that's borderline. That's narcissism. There's a name for this. There are people who understand it. Yeah, That's, I think, what has to happen for people in some form. So you're saying, uh, you know, forget talk therapy, forget meds. No, I'm not saying forget talk therapy. 
<laughs> okay, okay. But you're saying, but, but my point is the real real set being set free is within your own soul when you get to the end of your rope and you realize what have I become or, or what's going yes. on here. And then within yourself, you say, look, I got to change my worldview. I got to change my mind because my life is a mess right now. It, it, it seems like there's a, a, a collision course of the circumstance of life that needs to happen with each individual. To, to You have to be broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to get broken. <laughs> Um, and, and the, the, there's, there's more to it than if, 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 if anybody listening to this is getting close to that point in their life, if they can feel that this confrontation with reality is finally coming, yes, I know how scary it is. Mm. You're also going to learn things you don't want to learn about yourself. The first couple of years after I, I have, I, I had to go to court and evict my mother. It was basically what we went through was like an acrimonious divorce, unfortunately, but I won and she's gone. First couple of years, I spent most of my time filled with rage, appropriate rage, absolutely appropriate rage that I had bottled up for my entire life. And I was very focused on what was wrong with my mother. But after a couple of years, what was wrong with me became just as evident as what was wrong with my mother. And I had to deal with that too. I had to deal with the fact that I was a 22 year alcoholic um, that I, and I lied to everybody about my drinking. Um, I had, I had a lot of personal realizations about how I relate in the world in, in unproductive ways that will happen for other people too. But, but I will give, if you want me to leave people with hope, I can tell you that being here on the other side after this is a much better place. Yes. It is a better life. I feel like I am seeing the world more clearly, more closer to how the world actually is than I ever have in my life before. And some of what I'm seeing is terrifying and depressing. It's not happy. I'm not happy-go-lucky. I'm not, I didn't turn into a happy-go-lucky person, but I did turn into, and I'm, I'm still changing. I am feeling more in control of my life. I think I see things more accurately. I definitely have superior skills now that I can keep people out of my life who are going to be bad for me or that who I am going to interact with badly. I can smell narcissism and emotional instability much farther away than I could before. And therefore I don't have the same kinds of um, uh, really fraught friendships and relationships that I used to have. Um, Things are better. Well, Josh, we really appreciate you, man. You, uh, you provide incredible insights. Uh, You had a lot of pain you did a lot of self-care. You've studied. You've you've been diligent. You bring clarity to a lot of these situations going on. So I'm going to give you the last word about how people can get a hold of you, uh, follow you, and then also uh, please give a word of exhortation. Any concerns you have for the country, where we need to be focus- focusing ourselves, or or anything that would uh, just going to give you the last word. However you thank you. Feel well, I'm and I want to say thank you as well for doing this show. The the specific topic you know, featuring people who've been in wokeness is so important. And I don't know anyone else who's doing it. Uh, um, so I want to see this grow. This is what you're doing is very important. Um, people can, fo- um, our show is called disaffected. It's it, I, I call it a podcast, but actually it, if you like old fashioned talking head TV, that's what we try to do. It's well-produced. It's not just me sitting in a basement. It's, it's basically a one hour news politics and culture show every Sunday evening at 9 PM Eastern on YouTube. We also do audio-only versions of the show that come out through your podcast player. Uh, so look for us on YouTube. We're getting ready to get our website back up there. We also have a Substack. I do writing as well. Uh, so look for Disaffected Pod on Substack.com. Um, and I would say, what you know, what do what what do I think that we should be thinking about as a country more than we are? There's a million of them there, but um, I think the one I'd pick uh, is is one that I had to wake up to. I I would ask all of us, we really need to revisit our relationship to government. We have slid so far away from our constitutional principles of individual sovereignty that we don't even realize that we don't have the republic that our constitution says we should have. We're not living in that constitutional republic anymore. And we are in a a sick and entrapped relationship with the government in loco parentis. We are treating the government as if it were our parent and as if the government had the moral right and duty to parent us, and we have given up our own freedom, even to say what we actually think 
in order to comply. And if we don't turn this around, we're going to lose America. Wow. Well, Joshua, or Josh, uh, you prefer Josh or Joshua, by the way, I should have asked. Either one is fine. I don't care. Okay. Well, Joshua, that's probably on your birth certificate. Thank you so much. And uh, really appreciate you and the work you're doing. And uh, I really do love the content of your show and I love your, your personality coming out. I I find you hysterical and I find uh, that, that the things you're speaking are very relevant to our culture today. So really appreciate the generosity of your time. And thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Godspeed. Okay.